Welcome to another edition of Deconstructing Alpha. I am your host, Jeremy Van Arkel, and we have a really interesting show today. We're going to be talking about something that I think a lot of the financial advisory community doesn't really understand very well. And, uh, and I would guess that maybe even some analysts and portfolio managers don't understand this subject very well. We are going to be talking about managed futures and uh, their role in portfolios and, and how they can be used as a hedge or even a growth asset class in your portfolios. And so today's de- uh, guest is Yang Xin Kung, and he is coming to us from Credit Suisse, where he is the portfolio manager of the Credit Suisse Managed Futures Fund. Before we dive in, I have to give you our standard disclaimer that please stay on the end of the call, uh, on the end of the interview here for important notes and disclosures about this podcast. Um, Those are uh, important so that we can deliver this podcast to you and make sure all of our compliance officers are happy. So, um, Jung, welcome to the call. I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks, Jeremy. So where are you located right now? Where are you uh, uh, videoing in from? Our, our team is based uh, in New York. I'm in the New York office uh, as we speak. Enjoy Excellent. Another nice sunny day here. I love New York. Um, I, I was just up there and I just, it's, it's just, you know, they, they talk about that vibe, that New York vibe, and you just can't explain it. And then you forget about it. And then you show up and it's back, right? So, okay. So what, in your words, what's your role at Credit Suisse? So I look after the quantitative investment strategies group within Credit Suisse Asset Management. Um, I've been at Credit Suisse for uh, over 20 years now. Um, I think we're a bit unique in that over this period, uh, in fact, since 1999, we've gained a lot of insight by indexing and analyzing the hedge fund industry, including the managed future space um, through our proprietary Credit Suisse hedge fund index. Right. And and Credit Suisse has become known for this quantitative um hedge fund replication type strategies, right? Yeah, we've been involved in uh, in replication and index tracking uh, in the alternative space um, really since before 2010. Uh, we sort of uh, got into it in terms of a fully um, uh, evolved program uh, at the beginning of 2010. So we have certainly a, a pretty decent history in this space. All right. So uh, we're currently in an inflationary environment and um, uh, commodity prices are up and then stocks and bonds are down. And so this is an interesting environment in that coming into this environment, most investors had both stocks and bonds, and they did not have very much exposure at all to commodities and or managed futures. So uh, let's talk specifically about managed futures today. And um, can you um, can you explain simply what a managed future strategy is? I'll try. Um, so when we're talking about managed futures, we're focusing on capturing price trends up or down uh, across major asset classes through the deeply liquid futures market. Um, the bulk of the three to $400 billion invested in managed futures uh, is focused on trend following. Um, and I think a critical aspect of managed futures and why the name um, is that uh, we focus on the deeply liquid futures market. Uh, there are other trend-following methodologies out there. Um, some of them focus on more esoteric, less liquid places. But managed futures is really using futures uh, to be able to take advantage of price trends up or down. So what kind of markets are we talking about here? What, so, if, if, so what you're saying is if a market is going up or down, you could be long or short. So what, can you give us an example of what those markets are? 
Yeah, we um, we've found that trends uh, exist across all major asset classes, stocks, bonds, uh, currencies and commodities. Um, so all are represented in the program. Uh, we also focus on covering all uh, major regions in the program, um, so long as the markets um, of those regions uh, have the have the necessary liquidity uh, to implement a trend program. So um, it's really uh, across the board asset class wise and, and quite regionally diverse as well. Um, okay, so you mentioned that the majority of the assets in the industry are trend following assets. So can you explain the trend factor? And uh, then can you explain why the returns of managed futures this year are performing so well? Yeah, uh, great, very topical question. Um, We think trends exist uh, because asset prices don't discount new information instantaneously. Uh, We think that there are lead lag effects in decision-making. Uh, investors differ in the rate at which they process and digest new information and, and implement investment decisions. Uh, if you think about you know, one extreme being uh, hedge funds, hedge funds tend to be very fluid and dynamic in their positioning. Uh, if you think about the other end of the spectrum being institutional investors, uh, many institutional investors work with consultants. Uh, they may have complex governance processes. Um, and so there's a range of uh, uh, governance structures at play, um, and many investors react to the decisions of other investors, creating certain feedback loops. Um, so trends tend to be most pronounced exactly when asset class rotations occur. That's when investors are repricing the key macroeconomic variables such as growth and inflation, such as we, you know, what we've seen fairly recently. Um, it's really during those periods that they're selling certain assets in order to increase allocations to other assets. And that dynamic gives rise to um, actually both a downtrend in whatever they're selling and an uptrend in whatever they're uh, they're buying. And we try to take advantage of both of those. So trend, the trend factor performs well at points of tr- change. Points of change, rotations. I, w- I would say it tries to take advantage of uh, repositioning um, of portfolios, not necessarily the rebalancing back to target, but the shifting in the targets of a portfolio. So that's very interesting because I think most people would think a trend factor would perform very well, say, if the US market went up, say, consistently for 12 years, that that would be a trend. But that's more a momentum factor, right? Yeah. I mean, I I think you could also consider that to be a trend. And some of these longer term secular types of trends are profitable. Trend following programs tend to benefit from those, but that is not when you see the concentrated uh, really impactful uh, performance that creates perhaps a bit of a um, a, uh, a a a more consistent performance through time. I think trend following certainly has benefited from a you know long period of uh, of declining interest rates. Um, uh, so that has been a positive and a tailwind during that period of time. But if if we're going through a period where interest rates are consistently rising, uh, we should also benefit. Um, from that. But I think when you see trends being particularly acute is when investors are uh, rapidly reacting to information and repositioning portfolios. And that typically occurs uh, when people are repricing growth expectations or repricing inflation expectations. And 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 that change point we we that we experienced this year was the inf- in the you know outsized inflation caused investors to reassess both their stocks and their bonds, which is the majority of their portfolio. And, and a lot of the assets that they didn't own now have to be bought, like commodities. Absolutely. Absolutely right. And so we, we, we also saw actually commodities being a significant beneficiary um, in terms of the uptrends 
this year. Uh, currencies as well. Um, the dollar has been very strong for a, a good amount of the year, and I think that reflects a number of these dynamics, as well as perhaps the view that the dollars may be a safer uh, currency than some of the other um, currencies in the marketplace. So um, that's that's that that description is spot on. Okay, so when you when you invest in a managed future strategy. You know, typically when you invest in a stock strategy, if you were just had you know one stock and you invested a hundred dollars in into Microsoft, you would buy a hundred dollars worth of Microsoft stock and you'd be a hundred percent invested. Do the dollars in a managed future strategy all go to the futures, or or is this the component to fixed income involved here? Um, that's uh, another excellent question. Uh, so in general, um, trend following programs, and I'll, I'll speaking for ourselves, but also you know we do look at. Uh, there are about three dozen managers that constitute our hedge fund index. So we're looking at a broad range of, of, of programs. Um, uh, and what we see is that the typical volatility of a um, so risk profile or volatility of a managed futures program is somewhere between that of stocks and, and bonds. Um, 10% is, is the volatility we target. And our usage um, of the capital in the fund is really a function of how much risk we want to take. Um, and so when we look at our program, we typically have a decent amount of cash that we don't need to post um, in terms of trading the uh, the futures um, in the program, which does create a a, a, a good amount of cash in the program. Um, so there's both the futures exposures as well as the cash, which is not necessary to support um, those futures exposures. So you can you can be uh, you can change the you can change the direction of the of your of your trends you could be long or short any of these asset classes but you can also change the amplitude by how what percentage of your total portfolio you're investing in futures because futures are a, lever, a leveraged instrument right that's right yeah. that's right we're not borrowing but futures by themselves are uh in of themselves are levered instruments and so yeah. we're able to generate uh, enough exposure to get to our 10 percent risk target um without using up all the capital that exists in the fund uh, in terms of um, uh, margin. So um, it's uh, it, it generally we, we see a decent amount of cash in these programs. Um, and we tend to be very conservative with that cash. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't, we're not looking to take significant um, investment risk with that. We're trying to provide investors with exposure to uh, trends, not really, um, you know, credit or something like this. Yeah, yeah, right. uh, so, so there is a lot of cash. We we typically invest it um, in uh, in shorter term instruments, which generate some some type of return. So, what what approximate percentage of the portfolio is held in cash or in money market? Uh, it varies through time. Yeah, it, it varies through time. I, I'd say for somebody like ourselves, it could be uh, it could be the majority. I mean, it could be over fifty percent of the portfolio um, is uh, you know even 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 you know beyond that. Uh, would be um, in cash equivalents uh, for us. So that's very unique in this environment because um, what comes hand in hand with inflation is Fed tightening. So with the short end of the yield curve looking like it has to rise or is is expected to rise, the rates on the short end with the Fed controls is expected to rise. Does that give you sort of a, a little advantage or extra return in environments when the Fed is tightening? Yeah, absolutely. Um, higher uh, front-end rates are, are certainly a tailwind um, for the program, purely, um, as, as, as you point out, Jeremy, from the standpoint of just generating a yield, which we pass directly through to investors um, through uh, higher returns on, on you know, essentially cash equivalents. Um, 
I think in addition to that, uh, this type of environment and and rising short-term rates provide opportunities elsewhere. I mean, they provide obviously opportunities in the um, in the interest rate space, but also FX. Um, you know, precious metals probably has some uh, linkage to what's happening um, in uh, in shorter-term rates, and so. There's a propagation of trends as well uh, into various places, which uh, which the program is trying to take advantage of. So I think there are multiple levels on which um, a move upward in uh, in front end rates is potentially beneficial to a trend following program. So if if most investors are invested in stocks and bonds, uh, this type of investment could serve as a diversifier for those kind of portfolios because you're able to capture trends in all assets, but in also in particular in the ones that are changing the most, like commodities, as well as you you could um, maybe benefit from rising or higher for longer interest rates. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, managed futures is, in our experience, um, you know, one of the only investment strategies that tends to do best when stocks are struggling the most. Um, so uh, I think it's a very interesting period um, for managed futures, and uh, we're, we're, we're getting a lot more interest in it broadly, I guess, right now. Right, I'm sure. Makes sense. <laughs> I'm sure, and I think um, one of the one of the maybe you can comment on this, but maybe one of the problems leading up to you know the pre the prior market environment, one of the problems was interest rates were near zero, so you didn't have the tailwind of your short term investments earning money. Um, but does that mean that managed futures are not necessarily like, so So when I look at this environment, I say, well, inflation's here. The most linear way to respond to inflation is to buy commodities. But I, but I, uh, at least my data shows that commodities don't have really a lot of long-term return, uh, maybe just slightly above cash as their long-term expected return, but they have huge volatility. Therefore, I have to be good at timing. So does managed futures is managed futures something that investors have to time, or is this more of a long-term portfolio position? This is a question that comes up a lot. Uh, we tend to guide investors, both institutional investors and retail investors, to look at managed futures with a long-term perspective. Um, we we know that you know empirically, uh, over the long term, they've improved the quality um, of portfolio returns, particularly through mitigating drawdowns and reducing volatility. Obviously, that's not a guarantee, but that's that's been the experience. Um, you, I would argue, you need to be less right um, in managed futures than perhaps um, commodities with respect to your view. Uh, you know, I, I would expect managed futures, if we went through a much more deflationary episode, could potentially profit. Um, inflation, uh, as long as that's significant, creating lasting, durable trends, that's also profitable. Um, so I think there's a little bit more scope um, to win in a broader range of potential outcomes, perhaps with a managed future strategy than just an outright uh, commodity exposure. Um, so just to answer specifically your question about timing, you know, if an investor believes that they can add value timing the market, um, then it may be appropriate to think about being more active in timing managed futures. Um, I guess we right. all know that you know market cycle timing is not easy, but some yeah. people do add value there. Yeah, and I think the, the, that the point of that question for me at least was more when I look at you know saying oh we have this inflationary environment we we should probably have you know a healthy chunk of exposure to commodities but you know in the long run if you're if you you know if you you know I know what I don't know and I I've been doing this you know the longer you do this the less you feel certain about it. and so the more you want assets in your portfolio that at least are appropriate if you're not right <laughs> and 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 
you know, commodities feel like I have to get the timing right because the volatility is so off the chart and the, you know, they take the, um, they take the escalator up and the elevator down and, and managed futures seem to be more of, uh, have more of a, a, a driver of more consistent returns and they seem to be more risk managed and they seem to be, have really their own unique performance patterns that are different than stocks and bonds. So, um, yeah, I fully agree. I mean, I, 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 I think you also want multiple arrows in the quiver. Uh, if your view is right, and for whatever reason, there's a particular event or situation which causes your expression of that view not to be successful, it's nice to have another expression of that view in the portfolio so that hopefully that other expression doesn't suffer from the same uh, uh you know, whatever particularity yeah. that causes, you know, yeah. your, 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 your base case version, your base case implementation, not to function as, 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 as you like, it's, it's terrible um, to be right uh, and to express a view. And then for that view, not to be profitable. Right. Well, we, we um, all, we all know that that can happen, which is, I don't think investors, uh, I think there's two layers of this expressing your view in a portfolio that investors don't think about. The first is you could be right on the, on what is going to happen, but wrong on your implementation. Right. And, yep. and, um, and, um, and, and, you know, that, that, that's the first side of it. But the second side of it is if you do have an opinion, it's easy for that to bleed into all of your assets. And therefore, your whole portfolio is tilted in one direction and you don't realize it. Right. That's a very good point. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, in this current market environment, uh, I, I mean, without giving away the book, um, is, are there any, sort of um, positioning points that you could talk about with your portfolio, how, how you know, on sort of on average or in general, how the portfolio is positioned right now? We're very transparent. We're happy to give away the book. Um, okay. So no problem answering that question. Uh, you know, the portfolio has been very flexible in adapting um, to the series of macroeconomic events, higher inflation, supply chain shocks, um, differences regionally in terms of the response to the pandemic. Uh, so current positioning, uh, we're long, we're broadly long commodities, um, uh, uh, with, uh, with energy being, you know, a, a pretty significant position, um, at the moment, um, we're modestly, um, short equities, uh, that short bias has been a little bit more, um, biased towards Asia, um, than the rest of the world. Uh, um, but right now we're, 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 we're consistently short equities and that's been a more flexible position that's, that's evolved a bit. Um, as markets have uh, evolved, um, we're uh, broadly long the U.S. dollar, um, really across the board versus other currencies. Um, uh, so I, I think the the, the portfolio um, is, uh, and we're we're, we're short uh, we're short uh, rates um, in general. Um, so I, I think it's if I if I infer what the positioning is at the moment, I would describe it as positioned for. Um, higher inflation, uh, perhaps lower growth, um, and uh, that's current positioning. That that certainly can evolve. Uh, the expectation in a program like this is that there's responsiveness, um, and so uh, that's something which um, you know may change uh, next week. It may change several months out. Right. Well, it sounds like all of those positions are working in your favor so far this year. So, <laughs> so. I guess, Equities has well, been the most tricky, um, yeah. but in terms of uh, in terms of the year, we've seen you know we've seen good profitability in the commodity space. We've seen very strong profitability, um, being short rates, and FX has also contributed. Yeah, yeah. So the the, the major drivers this year probably uh, long commodity, short treasuries. Yeah, that's yeah. that's been a pretty consistent theme, as you can imagine, and that's a nice thing about trend as well as. 
Um, you know, sometimes we get called a black box and I don't like that. Uh, when you think about the positioning that exists in which we just went through, it's very intuitive positioning. Like if, if you've watched markets for the last, you know, six months, you wouldn't be surprised that the positioning of some type of a program, which is designed to reflect the evolution of prices is positioned exactly as we've just talked about. Um, yeah. so I, I hope our goal is for the positioning to be, uh, quite intuitive. Excellent. So, um, to further on to that, what kind of environments, do you have any examples of environments where managed futures have historically in the past uh, performed well? So to, to make this sort of, this, yeah. this idea of, of how, how they work uh, a little more tangible for investors. Yeah, it's it's an important question. I mean, managed futures is not something which is always going to give you tremendously attractive performance. I think, you know, uh, trendless range-bound markets, um, you know, by definition, are not good for trend following. Um, and I think what we've seen is that you know uh, periods where we've extended periods of very low interest rates, um, you know, maybe suppressed interest rates, uh, have tended to coincide with markets that have been pretty um, pretty range bound and, and fairly trendless. Um, and so, um, you know, what's good is is this repricing uh, of expectations around the core macro variables. If the, if nobody has any views on that, just very you know, it's very stable, very static, um, and then you sort of bounce around. Um, that's not a particularly good environment for trend. Right, right. Um, okay, so um, can managed futures protect against really large downsides? I mean, it, it so far this year we've had you know repricing. And changes, and everybody's repositioning their portfolios, which is creating trends in areas where there weren't trends. Um, you know, if if things get worse here, or like, I mean, the way I look at risk is it's, it's kind of two kinds. It's sort of like this is normal, and and wow, this is this is big. <laughs> so does it? Do the managed futures help in large scale downside uh, price changes? Yeah, I think you know one of the. First of all, there's there's obviously no guarantees, <laughs> but yeah, we certainly course, think there's a good we we, yeah. we think there's a there's a good chance. Um, yeah, uh, I think the nice thing about managed futures and and you know sort of going back to the last question about when will they um, potentially underperform, the good news is that in that environment, most people have pretty good experiences with the rest of their portfolio. Um, and so I think the nice thing about trend is that it it tends to do best when the other parts of the portfolio may be struggling. So. Some of the some of the periods where trend has seen the biggest returns have been, you know, sort of the tech meltdown uh, in the early two thousands, the global financial crisis. Um, there was a you know sort of a decent profile um, uh, when the intensity of of, of the COVID uh, event back in two thousand twenty um, was extremely high. Uh, this year, with the repricing that we've talked about, it's also been pretty good. So. Um, the, the the program, uh, not the program, but trend following more generally, managed futures uh, more generally, um, uh, does tend to benefit from from shocks, um, which often coincide with uh, pretty steep losses um, in uh, in equities or cyclically sensitive assets. Um, so I, you know, we certainly think that there's a good chance of of, of protection, um, but it's. You know, it's probabilistic. It's not a, you're not buying a, you're certainly not buying a, right. a put option on equities. So I'm going to summarize, I think, what we all talked about right here um, and tell me if I'm kind of right on. So as a as a portfolio allocator, where we build portfolios of multi-assets and multi-managers, and we try to create uh, consistent risk-managed outcomes for people, we are always looking for diversification. And, and the, the best kind of diversifiers for us 
are ones that have a positive expected return, a unique performance pattern, and then the ability to provide returns when nobody else is. Right? That's, a, that's sort of, and, and often those assets, when you look at them in isolation, they don't look that attractive. But when you combine them with other assets, they can really make the overall performance pattern to the client a lot more consistent. That's very well described. Yep, I would I would certainly agree. I mean, I think the you know really what you want to do with portfolio construction is um, guard against unexpected outcomes. You know, your base case may come to be, uh, and hopefully you make a good amount of money. But you also want to have components of that portfolio um, which are going to protect you uh, or have a good chance of protecting you um, if your base case doesn't come to fruition. You want to guard against a, a range of outcomes. And I think you've described a number of the features of the types of strategies you want in a portfolio that get you there. So I, I couldn't describe it better at all. I think you described it all pretty good. We started with this idea that there's these mythical uh, instruments called managed futures portfolios. And I think we boiled down what they are and how they act and how to use them in a portfolio. So, so um so before we wrap this up, is there anything else you want to add? I always like to offer it back in case we, you think we missed something here. Um, anything, anything, any lasting, any last comments here for the listeners? Oh, Jeremy, thanks so much for the questions. I, uh, I think we covered all the bases. Yeah. Well, this has been very uh, informative for me, hopefully for the audience. Uh, and hopefully I respected everybody's time a little bit better this time around. So um, I appreciate you all um, listening and um, we'll have plenty more of these podcasts to come in the future. And, and Young, thank you so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. And all of your work over there at Credit Suisse. Thank you. Thank you. Please refer to additional Credit Suisse disclaimers, which can be found on our podcast page. This podcast is for informational purposes only. The information does not constitute advice or a recommendation of any specific investment, mutual fund, or mutual fund company. Before making any investment, you should carefully seek independent legal, tax, and regulatory advice. In particular, you should seek the advice of a licensed financial advisor regarding the suitability of the investment product, taking into account your specific investment objectives, financial situation, any particular needs, and your ability to assume the risk and fees involved before investing. This podcast and presentation are for informational purposes only. Frontier assumes no liability for any action taken in response to listening to this podcast. Frontier Asset Management is not affiliated with any specific fund company. The views and opinions expressed by each speaker are their own as of the date of the recording. Any such views are subject to change at any time based upon market and other conditions and Frontier disclaims any responsibility to update such views.